Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life He gives. As a kid, I played baseball. And I, I'm not a huge baseball fan any longer, but when I was a kid, I was a big baseball fan. I played Little League. And back when I was a kid, there was no internet, so you actually had to go outdoors and do things. And so me and the neighborhood kids would get together, and we would play baseball until it got dark. And I collected baseball cards. Anybody here collect baseball cards? Only one person ever, okay? Wrong crowd today. Uh, But I never got to go to the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Has anybody been? Okay, a few. uh, Awesome, awesome. Um, it's, It's not far from here. So if you haven't been, you should go, Um, because there's all sorts of historic memorabilia of heroes of the game, and I got to go when I was an adult. I was, it was, I think, around 2005, 2006, there was some some kids in my youth group who played high school baseball, and they'd never been, and I said, well, we're just going to jump in the car and go, and so we drove, and we spent the day there, and I have three pictures to show you. And these are things that are in the Baseball Hall of Fame. The first one up in the right corner is an old baseball. And you're like, who cares? It's an old baseball. Well, this baseball um, is from the 1919 Fall Classic. And what makes it special is the story behind it. Because in 1919, the White Sox, who were in the Fall Classic, conspired with some gamblers to throw the series. And this was the first ball used in that series. And as you see that ball, it almost fuels your imagination to think like, wow, what was it like for the pitcher to hold that ball? And he knew, he knew, man, we're going we're gonna to lose this on purpose. We're going to get paid. And all our fans who are rooting for us to win, they don't even know what we're about to do. See, that baseball tells a story, right? There's another picture up there of, you see the green and gold jerseys? Oakland Athletics jerseys, those are UVM colors. They're also Oakland Athletic colors. And for you baseball fans, the the Lake Monsters here in Vermont are a farm team of the Oakland Athletic. The reason these jerseys are in the Hall of Fame is because in the 1960s, every team in, in baseball wore white uniforms or gray uniforms. But Charles Finney, when he bought the St. Louis A's, later moved them to Oakland, he decided that they were going to have these colorful jerseys, and so he picked gold and Kelly green. And you can imagine the first game where that team runs out on the field and everyone's saying, what is going on? They, they, they were made fun of by the league. One of the, the Yankees manager at the time said, hey, those screwball uniforms aren't going to help you win any more games. And so th- they're on display there, the first jerseys that were colorful in the, in the 1960s. And then I have one more picture, and, and it's a bloody sock. Maybe there's some Boston fans who know what this sock represents. In 2004, the Boston Red Sox were playing against the New York Yankees in the ALCS, the championship series, to go to the World Series. The Boston Red Sox had not won a World Series since 1918. And here we are in 2004, and the Yankees jumped out to a three-game lead. It's the best of seven, so you have to win four games to advance. And somehow, Boston won two games, and they cut it close, and it was game six. 
This was Boston's chance to tie it up to get to the World Series. And their ace pitcher, Kurt Schilling, he injured a tendon in his ankle, but he was scheduled to pitch in game six. And so the team doctor sutured the ankle skin to the tissue surrounding the tendon to hold everything in place so that Kurt Schilling could just pitch through this one game. And from the very first inning, you could see the blood soaking through his sock, and the TV cameras wouldn't leave it. Right? They just kept focusing it on that sock, and he pitched the game, and they won. They went to the World Series. They won their first World Series since 1918. And so Kurt Schilling's bloody sock, you can go see it at the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. And you're probably wondering, why is Adam talking about baseball in the Hall of Fame instead of preaching? Well, <laughs> because I'm going to start my sermon today with a passage of Scripture that's widely referred to as the Hall of Faith. It's in the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11, uh, what we find is something similar to the Baseball Hall of Fame. It's the Hall of Faith, where, where Hebrews 11 lists all of these Old Testament heroes of faith. And it has some faith memorabilia that tell their story. And we have been doing a series on the life of Joseph from the book of Genesis. And I don't have time to rehearse the whole story of Joseph. If you've been with us the last seven weeks, that's what we've been talking about, the life of Joseph, you know, the amazing Technicolor dream coat, that guy. And, and what's interesting is that Joseph and his father Jacob are both in the hall of faith. This hall of fame for these Old Testament heroes of faith, both of them are mentioned. And so we're going to use the book of Hebrews to finish up our series today. And I want to read for you Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 through 16. So this is, the, this is as you enter the hall of faith in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, there's this disclaimer that all of these people who are about to be listed, they're in this hall of faith for this reason. Let me read it for you. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. And so the author of Hebrews goes on and lists all these Old Testament heroes of the faith. And Joseph and his father Jacob are mentioned. They each get a verse. Isn't that cool? You got a verse in the hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21. Here's Jacob's verse. It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons, which were his grandkids, and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. Verse 22, the next verse. It was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He then commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. Now here's what I find striking about this passage. Of all the things the author of Hebrews could have said about Joseph and about his father Jacob, why mention a staff and some bones? I mean, if I was going to go into the Hall of Fame 
right? I would want whatever relic or whatever thing was going to go in there, I would want it to, 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 to tell my best story. If it was Joseph, I would want the amazing Technicolor dream coat in here, not my bones, right? If I was Jacob, I don't know if I'd want a staff in there. Like, he lived this whole long life full of, like, adventure and trauma and dysfunction and all these crazy things, and yet it's, it's his staff that's in the hall of faith. So why? What's, what's so noteworthy about Jacob leaning on his staff? What, what's so special about Joseph's bones where he says to his family, take them back to Canaan when God takes you out of Egypt? Well, just like the Baseball Hall of Fame and those pictures I showed you, this staff and those bones tell a story. And they tell a story of faith. And so today we're going to close out our sermon series on the life of Joseph by looking at these two relics, Jacob's staff and Joseph's bones and, 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 and the stories of faith they tell. And hopefully they encourage us in, in our own faith journey. We'll start with Jacob's staff. It says the one he leaned on as he blessed Joseph's children or his grandchildren. Hebrews 11.21, it was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. And this is, again, this is such an odd thing to say about someone's life. Oh, yeah, when, when, when they died, they leaned on their staff. It's such an odd thing to, if you're going to include one thing, it's an odd thing to include. So how does this staff have anything to do with, with Jacob's faith in God? Well, there, there's a pastor that I like to listen to and read um, that we're going to read a quote from. She pastors this little church in Burlington, Vermont, called Church at the Well. And last, last week she, she, she preached this, and I found this quote about blessing. In the Old Testament, we see a strong tradition of fathers granting a blessing on their sons. Usually, this kind of blessing consisted of three things. Encouragement, details regarding inheritance, and prophetic words about the son's future. A father's blessing was equivalent to a will in Final Testament. It was irrevocable. It names something of a person's identity, helping them to receive their identity as part of their inheritance. And what we have in Genesis chapter 48 the closing of Joseph's story, is we see Jacob, Joseph's dad, and he calls Joseph's sons, who are his grandsons, and he blesses them. And in verse 15, Jacob, this old patriarch, right, who's leaning on his staff, he says this, may the God who has been my shepherd all my life bless these two boys. He says, may the God who's been my shepherd all my life. Now, in this sermon series, the last seven weeks, we, we didn't have much time to talk about Joseph's dad, Jacob. Um, but let me tell you this about Jacob. Jacob's life was not an easy one. Jacob's life was one long sequence of sorrow, tragedy, and dysfunction. Let me, t let me just give you a, a snapshot of Jacob's life. His father, Isaac, favored Jacob's brother, Esau, more than him. So that was how things started. It turns out that Esau eventually wants to kill Jacob, his own brother. And so he has to flee for his life. He never sees his mom again. She dies while he's gone. He, he moves in with an uncle who tricks him into hard labor for 14 years. And then later on in his life, when Jacob starts a family of his own, all his kids hate each other. In fact, 
10 of his kids conspired to kill one of his kids, but they, instead they decide to sell him off as a slave when he's 17, and they take his, his coat of many colors, and they cut it up, and they put blood on it, and they send it back to their dad to trick Jacob into thinking that an animal had killed him, when in fact they'd sold him off as a slave. After that, one of his daughters gets raped. His oldest son, Reuben, sleeps with one of his wives. He has to leave his land because there's a famine. And everything he has, he has to pack up and leave and go to another country. His life was full of one sorrow after another, one tragedy after another, one big old ball of dysfunction. Right? But here he is, we're told, at the end of his life, he's worn out, and he's leaning on his staff. He's leaning on his staff, and he's blessing his grandkids, Joseph's sons. And he's declaring that God had been his shepherd all the way through his life. He's not denying all the suffering he lived through. He's not, not belittling it. He's recognizing how God was with him in all of it. See, Psalm 23 wasn't written yet during Jacob's life, but Jacob believed it. Because Psalm 23 says this, that God makes us lie down in green pastures, and he does. But Psalm 23 also says, when we walk through the valleys and the shadows, he's with us. And Jacob is blessing his grandkids, and he's saying, God was my shepherd the whole way through, even in the valleys, even in the shadows, even in the difficulties. And he's leaning on his staff. And so his staff tells a story. It tells a story of his faith. It tells a story of, of how Jacob believed that God would make good on his promises, that he would finish what he started, that the promise that God gave his grandfather, Abraham, that their family would be, a, would be blessed and would be a blessing to all the nations of the earth, and that he would give them a promised land. J J here Jacob is at the end, all worn out. He's dying. He's leaning on his staff. He's blessing his grandkids and saying, God is going to make good on what he promised, even though he couldn't see it even though he didn't see it. Now, we know what Jacob didn't know, right? That from Jacob's family tree comes Jesus, who's the fulfillment of his faith, the fulfillment of all his hopes, but he didn't see it. And so he leaned on that staff like he leaned on God. He leaned on it and said, I've had a rough life. Nothing's gone according to plan. It's just been tragedy and sorrow and difficulty, but I know that God redeems, that he's a redeemer. And then he's going to make good on what he promised. And he's blessing his grandkids. And so that staff tells a story of hardship and suffering and trust and faith and, and how God just isn't with us in green pastures, but he's with us in, in shadows and valleys and, and how God shapes us and forms us and invites us into his redemptive work. And, and he redeems our, our, our painful pasts and, and turns them into something good to be a blessing to others. And that's why Jacob's staff is in the hall of faith. Well, let's, let's move on to Joseph's bones. Why are they in the hall? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22. It was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He then commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. Again, this is another strange piece of memorabilia to put in the Hall of Faith. Of all the things, maybe it's the coat that should have gone there. Maybe it's the crown that Pharaoh gave him to be second in command of all of Egypt, but it's his bones. What story do his bones tell? Well, 
in Genesis 50, the very last chapter of the book of Genesis, Joseph's father Jacob dies. And when he dies, we're told that his brothers panic. And you can guess why they're panicking, right? Because now that Joseph's father's dead, maybe he's going to get revenge on them for selling him into slavery when he was 17. And so they're panicked. They're like, man, our dad was the one who was keeping us safe. Now he's gone and Joseph's going to get us. And so they send this message to Joseph. They, they didn't even go to him. They sent a message to him. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 16. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin, is treat, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Now, we're not told why Joseph wept. We're just left to, left to imagine. Perhaps from this message, message that his brothers sent, he was recalling all the trauma that he went through. Maybe he was saddened and weeping because his brothers didn't trust him. Or maybe because they were playing off the tenderness of him losing his dad, and they thought, this is the best time to, to, to ask for pardon, and maybe Joseph was saddened by that. We don't know, but we know that Joseph responds grace, grace, graciously and gracefully. In verse 19, it says this, but Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Now, I want us to notice a couple of things about these powerful words that Joseph shares with his brothers. Because the first thing we have to notice is that Joseph didn't minimize the evil his brothers did to him. His brothers sold him as a slave. And he doesn't minimize it. He, he, he names it for what it is. He plainly tells them, you meant evil. It was evil against me. And although that was true, it wasn't the greatest truth because Joseph follows that up with this. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. The greatest truth was that God flipped their evil intent on its head. And, and he redeems it because that's who God is. He's a redeemer. And Joseph knows God as a redeemer. God is, the, to Joseph, God is the one who can take what is broken and dysfunctional and he can redeem it, he can restore it, he can repurpose it. He, he, he calls it evil. But he says, but my God is so big and he's such a redeemer that he can even take the evil things that you do and he can flip them over and repurpose it for good. And because Joseph sees God as a redeemer, he's able to forgive his brothers. See, here's, here's the thing about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not letting someone off the hook. Sometimes when we talk about forgiveness, we know we should forgive, but it's really hard to forgive, isn't it? Especially when someone's done an evil against you. It's really hard to forgive. And, and a lot of times it's hard to forgive because we feel like when we forgive someone, we're letting them off the hook, 
right? That, that we're ignoring the evil that they did to us. But you can forgive someone and still call what they did evil, just like Joseph does here. Because forgiveness is not uh, ignoring the evil someone did to you. Forgiveness is, is not letting someone off the hook. Forgiveness is when we hand the gavel over to God. It's when we can trust that God is not only a redeemer, but he's also a righteous judge. And so when we give the gavel to God, we, and this is what Joseph was able to do. He, he gives the gavel to God and said, look, look, what you did is evil, but I'm not God. I, I'm not going to judge you. I'm going to care for you. But I'm going to give that to God because he's a righteous judge. And he's also a redeemer, which means all the evil you did to me, he's going to continue to flip it upside down and use it for my good, and he's going to use it to bring life. And what you meant for harm, what you meant for evil, it was evil. And, and God wasn't approving of that, but he, he's big enough, and he's gracious enough, and he's redemptive enough where he can flip it upside down, and he can make something good out of it. And what, Jacob, or what Joseph was really saying to his brothers is, is with God, the worst thing is never the last thing. Because God is a redeemer, right? The worst thing that happened to him, the, his brothers selling him off as a slave, the worst thing was not the last thing. Because God is a redeemer. And Joseph didn't have Romans 8.28, because it wasn't written, but he was living it. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that all things, work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Right? That's what God alone is able to do. Take, take something evil and flip it up. All things work together for good. And so Joseph's ability to forgive his brothers was evidence of his faith in God. Right? He, he, he trusted God as, as a righteous judge and as a redeemer, and so he's able to forgive his brothers. He lets God be the judge because he knows who he is. Genesis chapter 50, verse 24, Joseph says this, Soon I will die, Joseph told his brothers, but God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath, and he said, when God comes to help you and lead you back, you must take my bones with you. See, when Joseph made this request that his family would take his bones with them back to Canaan, it was Joseph's way of looking forward to God finishing what he started. That God was going to finish this plan of redemption. It, it was a declaration that God would make good on his promise of redemption. It, it was his way of saying that, hey, God didn't take us this far to leave us here. He didn't. So when, when I die and when I'm gone and God brings you out of Egypt and he brings you into redemption and the promises he had, take my bones with you because I need to be a part of that. See, it's his faith in God. These bones tell a story. And everything Joseph went through, he was still holding on, no, 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 all the way to my grave. I'm going to trust that God can redeem this. And that's where the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, ends with, with Jacob and Joseph both putting their faith in a God who redeems. You know, um, 
Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, the very first verse of the Hall of Faith says this, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. See, here's the truth today, is that we all live by faith. How can I say that so dogmatically? Well, because faith is the substance of things hoped for, and everybody's hoping for something. Whether you believe in God or not, you're hoping for something. And faith is the substance of things hoped for. So all of us, whether we're agnostic, atheist, Christian, we all are people of faith. Because faith is the substance of what we're hoping. What you're hoping for, that's what your faith is in. And so I kind of find it funny sometimes when people say, I don't really have any faith. I'm like, oh, yes, you do. (laughs) Because you hope for something. That's why you're here. And, and, and what Joseph and Jacob were able to do is they were able to put their faith, to transfer it from all these other things into a God who's a redeemer. Can I tell you why I really wanted to preach this this morning? Because I needed to go through the hall of faith today and see Jacob's staff and Joseph's bones. Because every time I turn on the news, it's just darkness. It's just evil. There's more shootings. There's more chaos, there's more dysfunction, there's more sin-torn brokenness. Can I tell you this? I probably shouldn't admit this as a pastor. Sometimes my faith wavers in God because I see all the brokenness, not just in my own life, but in the world. And, and And I start to think, wait a second, wait a second. Is God really a redeemer? Is he really doing redemptive work? Is he really gonna finish what he started? Is he really gonna redeem all this mess? And so I need, from time to time, to look at artifacts of faith, the heroes of faith in the Old Testament who just hung on. And you got Jacob, he's just leaning on his staff. Man, he's so old and worn out. He's just been through so much in his life. But he's like, no, 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 no. Like, I'm almost dead, but I'm leaning on my staff. I'm blessing these kids. God's going to make good on his promise. He never even sees it, but it comes to pass. You see, Joseph, who went through just remarkable tragedy and and, and imprisonment and, 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 and abandonment and, and sold as his brother. Just terrible, terrible stuff. And God redeems it and turns it around and uses it to, to, to save so many lives. And Joseph says, he's not done. God's not done. When you go, take my bones. Because there's still, God, God's still at his redemptive work. And I want to be there when it happens. And, and sometimes I think as, as Christians, as Christians, followers of Jesus, we need to be reminded that God is with us even in the valleys and shadows. We need to be reminded that that with God, the worst thing is never the last thing. And there's a lot of worst things. It's one after the other, right? Not just in the world, but even in our own lives. And, and, And our faith in God can waver. And that's why the author of Hebrews gives us the hall of faith. So that we can walk through it like the Baseball Hall of Fame and remember, oh yeah, that's right. God's a redeemer. And even though his his promises and redemptive plans haven't been fully realized, he's going to make good on them because he's a redeemer and that's what he does. I'm going to leave you with this verse from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 14. Obviously, people who say such things 
like I'm saying today, are looking forward to a country that they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place. A heavenly homeland. You're listening to the official podcast of Church of the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church of the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at www.wellchurchvt.com.